0: welcome to manager tools and the inaugural episode of our hall of fame series our guidance on -on one-on-ones part one our hall of fame series revisits our most important guidance when release dates coincide with major holidays
1: if you listen to our previous casts on one-on-ones don't be confused Mark and I recently decided to re-record some of our Basics casts and, uh, you know, incorporate our learnings over the past several years, and we hope deliver a better experience. Like you, we continue to learn, and we want to pass on those learnings in these improved casts. Anybody who's listened to managers for any length of time knows that one-on-ones is the most important thing managers do, right? Right. Anything more important
0: than that? Well, look, managers are responsible for results and retention, and we recommend one-on-ones as the single most powerful thing we know a manager can do to improve his relationship or her relationship with the directs, which leads to better results. So yeah, it's the most important thing we recommend. No question.
1: Okay. So, so why don't we get right into it? Why don't you tell me what one-on-ones are, why we do them, how we do them. Let's get into it. Exactly.
0: I've told many, many conferences over the years and many, many managers and executives that if there was only one thing I was forced to teach for the rest of my life to managers, it would be one-on-ones. And I've also been saying recently that We're the guys you want to learn about one-on-ones from because we didn't like them. We don't naturally think I want to sit down for half an hour with my directs and and talk to them every week about what's going on. But as I've said before, the second rule of the army is if it's stupid, but it works, it's not stupid. And whether you like it or not, you're paid to be effective. If you're not doing one-on-ones now, the single most effective thing manager tools can recommend to improve the results that you, you and your team get is to start meeting with them regularly, weekly. ...for a half hour, which is what we call a one-on-one. The fact is, folks, that, that in order to get the most out of your people, in order to close the gap between where they are and what they're capable of, you have to know each of your team members individually... It's unfortunate but in today's world the whole idea of fairness which is a, which is a wonderful concept and great for social justice and societal norms and so on the idea of fairness gets applied to management inappropriately because the implication is I will manage all of my people the same that's a bad idea different people require different things from bosses this is not to say we're in thrall with our directs but what it does say is if I'm a top performer and you insist on treating me identically as your bottom performer, I'm going to feel mistreated. And frankly, the bottom performer is too. If you treat him or her the way you treat me, if I'm your top performer. Not, not saying I would be your top performer. It's really very simple. Every person who works for you is an individual. It is not hard at all to get to know the individual strengths and weaknesses of each of your people. I tell the story often that if you want to, if you, if you listen to managers and you, you hear them talk about their teams. You can tell the difference between an average or a poor manager and a great manager pretty quickly. Here's the way an average or a poor manager, um, describes their team. Oh, Mike, I've, I've got a fine team of people. They're a bunch of good, good people. Uh, we work well together. I feel like we've got our eye on the ball. You know, every once in a while things fall through the cracks, but, but somebody picks back up and, uh, you know, we achieve good numbers and, um, things are on track. Okay. That's an average or a poor manager. Here's what great managers sound like. Well, Mike, I've got a great team. Robert, who works for me, just is absolutely brilliant at financial stuff, and he'll be CFO someday, no question. Tara, who sits right next to him, knows our customers so well that whenever there's a problem, I just know I can turn to Tara. And Gwen really, really understands the operation side in a way that sometimes even I don't. Can you see the difference? I mean, very different. It's obvious. A lot more details. This is a manager. Yeah, yeah. This is a manager who knows what to assign to whom, what to expect from who, and why they do what they do. We're creating a supposition here. We're positing that a better relationship will improve results. The question then becomes, how do you get a relationship? If you agree with the supposition, and folks, if you don't, it's okay. You have one of two choices. You can say, I don't think relationships are that important. Uh, so I'm not going to do one-on-ones. Okay, that's fine. We respect you. Uh, we hope you get great results. We don't think you will. Although, if you don't do one-on-ones and you have great relationships, we're okay with that. We don't need you to do one-on-ones. We need you to have great relationships because that leads to great results. Okay? But you could also say, well, I don't, you know, I don't know that relationships are all important, but I'm going to try it and see what happens. And then you'll become a believer as well. That's what happened to me. I didn't believe they'd work. I started doing them and, man... Did they work? I begrudgingly got dragged kicking and screaming into, these things really are going to work. And since I started doing them, we've refined them over the years based on feedback we've gotten and what works and what doesn't work. So look, the question becomes, how do you create a relationship with your directs? Now, look, here's what most managers do. What most managers do is they, uh, on Monday or Tuesday, they go up to somebody and say, hey, Bob, how was your weekend? Wife, kids, good. Everybody good? Yeah. Okay, great. Where are we on project X?" And the problem with this is that's not a relationship. The manager says, oh, I'm always talking to my people. That's a a common phrase. I'm always talking to my people. Well, yeah, your people know that. You're always talking to them. And you throw them a bone and ask them some vague personal questions that clearly aren't the most important thing in the world to you. And you then think that's me building a relationship when, in fact, what you really want to know is where are we on Project X? We've surveyed directs. Directs hate that. Or let's put it this way. Directs hate bosses who think that they're creating a relationship by doing that. So we've got to figure out a way, and we have one-on-ones, to create a relationship with your directs. And there is no other way to create a relationship with a direct than to sit down and spend time with them. Now, we know everybody's busy and we wish there were a better way. We wish we could give you a pill. We could snap our fingers. We could hypnotize you. We could wave a wand, whatever. We wish we could do that. But human beings resist relationships that don't grow over time. It's just the nature of being human, being a a professional, which is a subset of being human. If you want to have a better relationship with your directs, you must communicate regularly with them. Mike, we've shared this before at conferences where we say most managers tell us, "Well, what I want is a team feel. I want everybody on, on you know, that work for me to feel like a part of a team." Good, that's fine. We generally write the word "team" in in quotation marks. Yes, yeah, so it's not really a team, right? Their teams don't have bosses. Yeah, it's not really yeah. a team. Yeah, teams don't have bosses that people can fire them, right? I mean, when you're <laughs> right. on a team in high school or college or university, one of your teammates couldn't turn you and say you're fired. Yeah, bosses think they're a part of the team, but usually the team draws, the directs draws the circle of the team and, you know, the boss is outside the circle of trust. (laughs) Uh, Look, the whole point of that is that teams are built on trust. high-performing teams. The, The word that floats the top over and over again is trust, okay? How do you build trust? Well, it's easy with human beings. You communicate, okay? And all human beings evaluate your communication with them based on two factors, quantity and quality. Quantity is how often you talk to me. Right, I, I can measure whether who, who your best friend is just by looking at your emails and voicemails and texts and tweets and so on. Quantity and quality. And the typical human being, typical professional adult, measures the quality of someone's communication with them by whether or not it is of value to them. And so, what we've got to do in order to be effective developing relationships with our directs is we've got to create a time. We've got to spend time communicating about things that are important to the direct. And this was revolutionary for me. In fact, when, when we first started teaching one-on-ones, we knew this, but we didn't have the agenda set up to do it. And so, what we did was, we said, hey, we only tried an hour and 30 minutes. We'll talk more about the timing in a little bit. But we said, look, manager goes first. And uh, we said, you know, take take half of the meeting and talk to your folks. And it, was, it wasn't a disaster, but it was pretty close to a disaster because – what do you think happened, folks? What do you What do you think happened when we said, okay, well, let's just pretend for a moment that it was 30 minutes long. There were some 30 and some an hour and some 45 and some 20. But if it was 30 minutes long, we told the manager, you take half and then the direct gets half. How much time do you think the average direct got during that 30-minute period of time?
1: <laughs> you mean how much time did the the, the direct get to talk?
0: Yeah. How yeah, much? I did they get 15, 20, five? <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Two. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Which they never took, right? Look, if if your boss says he, he she wants to meet with you and it's a meeting of 30 minutes long and she's going to take the first 15 minutes and you're going to take the first 15 minutes or you're going to take the next 15 minutes and you come ready to exchange ideas and talk and so on and your boss looks up at 28 minutes and goes, sorry, I went long. You got anything for me? You do those two or three times and you're going to be like, no, I don't have anything. I'm going to just save the two minutes because clearly this meeting is not about me. This is a critical part of one-on-ones. The primary focus of one-on-ones And let me be clear. I don't know if I've said it. I'll try to say it 20 more times in the next couple of casts about this. A one-on-one is a half-hour long weekly meeting with every one of your directs structured specifically based on an agenda we'll share shortly. That's 10 minutes for them, 10 minutes for you, 10 minutes to talk about the future. Every single week, no matter what, with every single direct, half an hour long, scheduled on your calendar and rarely missed. That's what a one-on-one is. Okay, There are a lot of managers who sit down and talk to their folks, but they don't have a structure, which makes the structure makes an enormous difference, but the real value is scheduling it and doing it weekly. But But I want to go back to the focus of the meeting. The focus of the meeting is on the team member. It's not on you. It's not on your work this is what's going to drive you. You're going to sit down and you're going to do what Mike and I have done before in the past. And you're going to say, look, before we start, give me a quick update on project X. And you've just blown that one-on-one. You've just blown it because now it's about what you want to talk about. You're using your boss power, your role power. It's not wrong to use your role power. We recommend it at times. Um, but you ought to be using, most managers ought to be using it far less than they do. And you sit down and you say, okay, what's going on? And You don't talk about you in the beginning. You don't talk about your work. You don't talk about your issues. It's not a waterfall meeting the way your staff meeting is. And everybody always asks me, what's a waterfall meeting? A waterfall meeting is when your boss has told you X and you now then need to communicate X to everybody on your team. And so you either bring them all together or individually say, okay, here are the things I need to tell you that's communication. These tend to happen less than they used to because people send email blasts out to everyone. Um, but this is not simply a place to repeat what the organization in the form of your boss or somebody else has told you, because you can do that in a staff meeting. And by the way, related to one-on-ones, if, you, if you've if you not listened to this before, just to be clear, there are two meetings we recommend every manager have every week. That's only two, and that is a one-on-one with each of your directs, and I know that's kind of a trick, and then your staff meeting. If you have directs, you need a weekly staff meeting. One-on-ones do not take the place of staff meeting or team meeting, or whatever you want to call it, a weekly update, it doesn't really matter. You have that, and then you have a one-on-one with each one of your directs, okay? And look, if some of you are saying, well, you know, I'd kind of like to get my stuff out of the way, you know, it'll just take me just a minute, and then I'll get to what, you know, then I'll let the direct have the last 20 minutes, for instance. Folks, it doesn't work that way. We've had thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of managers doing one-on-ones for years now, and what we've learned is the moment you start asking questions, They're going to answer them and it's going to become a dialogue and you're going to take 20, 25 minutes. What's more, you're going to be violating the fundamental reason the one-on-one exists, which is to give a platform to the direct to allow them to communicate to you. It's not easy for a lot of managers to get. I promise you, you underestimate the extent to which you are the boss and you can do what you want and your directs cannot. I mean, I often ask executives in conferences, I say, how many of you go down to your directs cubes, need something, and 90 plus percent of the time, the direct's like, yeah, sure. I'm. You know, If you need me, sure. What do you need? Right? Absolutely. And yet, when your directs come and interrupt you, you don't say, absolutely, I'm available 90% of the time. You have role power. The role power matters. We're not saying you're wielding it. Unnecessarily like a club at all. You just, re- you probably are not even aware, as we like to say, don't ask the fish about the water. Right. You're just staring down at your papers
1: and you glance up over the top of your eyes yeah. up at them. <laughs> that, that's welcoming.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, and, and folks, we're not saying you're bad or wrong when you do that. We're just saying it's true. Okay. I tell a story, I've told the story many, many times of, Akio Morita, the chairman of Sony Corporation, came to New York City from, from Tokyo in the late 1970s. He was on the streets of New York City in the late 1970s, and he observed a musical phenomenon that basically changed the world in many people's eyes. He was walking down the street, and he saw a bunch of young people carrying boom boxes on their shoulders. And that's kind of an unwieldy way to walk around. But basically, he, he surmised people want to take their music with them. And these things that we're selling them are really not easy to take your music with you with. (laughs) So he goes back to Japan and he goes right down. Of course, he's the chairman. And so he can cut through all the layers. It's easy to talk down in an organization, folks. It is. And he goes all the way down to the R&D engineers and he says, I think what we need to do is make a small portable stereo, you know, a little tape player in there, maybe a radio. And his engineers go, okay. And they build one. This is Sony and they're good at that. And they build... The first prototype Walkman, which, by the way, you can find in their museum. And they send it up to their bosses. Seven layers it's got to get through. And the bosses say, okay, good. The chairman wants this. Let's make a couple of tweaks. Let's do this. Let's do that. And they send it back to the engineers. And, and, you know, they're talking up now. The engineers are sending their work up. And they make the tweaks and they send it back up. And it goes to the second level of managers. And they're like, yeah, but maybe we need to change it a little bit. Go back, change this, right? And then it goes up the third level. You know, comes back down, goes back up, comes back down, goes back up. When it gets to the chairman, you know what it looked like? A A boombox, yeah. Everybody added value, and everybody felt they could add value since they outranked those R and D engineers. When it got to the chairman, the chairman said, "What is this monstrosity?" And and his direct said, "Well, that's what you asked for." He says, "This is not what I asked for." So he walks down to the engineers and says, "What did? Why did you build this? I told you what I saw. I didn't want that. I wanted a little teeny thing." And they said, "Well, we actually built this," and he showed him. They showed him the prototype. He says, "That's what I want." And he says, "Well, that's not what everybody between us and you said." This story is relevant because it's easy for Chairman Reta to walk down a brilliant businessman, a great, great person, great successful leader of a of a storied company. You know, it's easy for him to go down and tell people what they what he wants and they have to listen because he outranks them. And, and we're not, we don't mean to overplay role power, but, but it matters and you have it if you're a manager. As I've often said, if you're a manager, you have a big fat red sign in your forehead. It says, watch out, I'm your boss, I could fire you. If you think, folks, that your directs are telling you everything, you are smoking crack. They are not. And the, the simple solution to that is, Tell me something. Do you tell your boss everything? No. Well, then your directs are probably just as smart as you. They're not telling you everything. But the point is, it's easy to communicate downward. It's much harder to communicate upward. If you think going around and telling people, "Hey, I, you know, how's it going? Good weekend. Everything good. Kids good. Yeah, yeah you know," if you think that's building a relationship, when in fact your directs probably don't get a chance to do that as much with you, you're crazy. It's not. That's not a relationship. That's you being polite and attempting to dismiss some of your role power. Your job is not to dismiss some of your role power in order to create a relationship. If you want to create a relationship, you have to spend time on it. It's as simple as that. We're adults and and we don't just all of a sudden magically, wonderfully relate to somebody who doesn't spend any time with us and only talks about the things that are important to them. So, one-on-ones exist to create a space for your directs to come to you with things that are of interest to them. And as Mike and I like to say, one of the first things that happens when you start doing one-on-ones, weekly, half-hour, scheduled meetings with all of your directs, one of the first things that happens is you notice that you start getting less questions during the week when you start having regularly scheduled buckets of time with each of your directs. And managers often come to us and go, I feel like things are quieter. I said, no, things aren't quieter. People just aren't coming to you with hundreds of small questions because they know they can wait till the one on one And when they decide to wait till Thursday, when on Monday, they decide to wait till Thursday to ask you a question. And so they say, I don't need to ask him right now because I know he's going to give me the time. And then Thursday comes around and they go, oh, that's not really all that important anyway. I'm not going to ask it after all. You just dodged a question, dodged a bullet. So, and look, if you've ever had people come up to you and ask you all kinds of questions, you just feel like they're nipping at your heels all week. You know, you come out of a meeting our good friend, Missy Porter asked me once, why is it I come on? I'm scheduled to the brink with meetings at the hospital I work in. And I literally can't get anything else done because I get back to my desk and my team has taken a number. And I said, oh, you got a one-on-one problem. And she's what? Why would one-on-ones, what's a one-on-one and why would that work? I said, because your people are making up things to ask you questions about. I asked her, are there times when they ask questions that really don't seem to need? And she says, yes, happens all the time. I said, yeah, they're not asking you the question to ask you the question to get an answer, they're asking you the question to get in front of you because they want to have a relationship with you and they don't feel like they do. She said, yeah, okay. She started doing one-on-ones. And interestingly enough, she stopped. I, I don't remember the details of it. It's been years. And then she started up again. And she said, boy, it was the best thing I ever did. Uh, even when she had, I think, 20 people working for it. She did one-on-ones to everybody. She even described it as, I, I used to do all my one-on-ones on Thursday. I think Thursday was the day of the week she did them. And she said, I was worried that I would have less time to get my stuff done. But I ended up literally getting my Tuesdays back. It was as if I spent a day of work on one-on-ones. And by the way, folks, we're not suggesting you have to schedule all your one-on-ones on one day of the week. We'll talk about scheduling um, some other time. But um, she actually scheduled a lot of one-on-ones on Thursday. And then Tuesdays freed up because she wasn't meeting with everybody. And she started working on her stuff on Tuesdays. That's how powerful one-on-ones yeah. can be. I had the same experience. Yeah, that's right. You did. Yeah. When we get to the weekly part, you need to tell the story about, bank bankra- about bankruptcy, about your experience about it. Changing your your the oh. periodicity of your one-on-one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yep, sure. Um, so let's let's talk about when. L- let's talk about when, because because I know what some people are thinking, Mike. They're going, well, okay, but I want to build a relationship. I do, Mark. I do, which by the way is translation for no, I don't. But I know I have to do something. So let's try to do it monthly. Well, I'm I'm going to set that aside for a minute. Because in the last 20 years of, of refining this, um, we've learned something that I'm, I'm not going to tell you that doing the monthly is unimportant. We've got to address that. But more importantly than the the period, the interval, and we recommend weekly, it's the second most important thing we say about one-on-ones. The most important thing about the interval of your one-on-ones or the timing or the scheduling of your one-on-ones is that they are scheduled. This is an enormous factor. It is uh, Most people would say, oh, so let's talk about weekly. And I say, nope, before we talk weekly, let's talk scheduled. I would rather you scheduled your one-on-ones than you had one-on-ones almost every week that were unscheduled. And I'll tell you why. The core of one-on-one value is saying to your directs, you're always going to have time with me. I'm always going to be investing in the relationship." Okay. If you don't schedule your one-on-ones, you're saying to your people, this might be important in any given week. You might be important. The time with me might be valuable to me. I don't know. Let's play it loosey-goosey. Let's play fast and loose with it. Let's, let's, let's sort of take it, play it by ear. We'll see how things go. The data on this are overwhelming. Managers who schedule the one-on-ones are 80% and above in terms of Compliance, bad word, but likelihood of actually completing one-on-ones. Managers who don't tend to fall in the 50% range. And your directs know it. Your directs try to get time on your calendar if you're not doing one-on-ones. And it's hard for them. They can't do it very easily all the time. But they know when when your schedule says you're going to be in a meeting, you're in that meeting. They know that your schedule drives you. They know if they have time on your calendar, on a re- if you're willing to commit to time on your calendar on a regular basis, that says something to them. That says a ton more than I'm going to try to meet with you every week because they know it's a pipe dream. It's going to happen for a few weeks and then it's gradually going to taper off and you're going to have added another thing to the bucket of, what's the phrase? A uh, oh, flavor of the month. Oh, your manager's learned something. Hell, you he learned it on a podcast. Okay, fine. He's gonna do these things. Yeah, I didn't really care about it. I can, I can cross my arms mentally and physically and wait him out. And a month from now, this is gonna, this is gonna pass. And by the way, every time you do that, every time you try something new, you try every new idea under the sun, and then you discard it in a month because it's hard because you haven't gotten over the Maguire hump of the Horseman curve and you're not in the land of milk and honey yet where you start getting the rewards because everything's hard in the beginning, right? If you keep doing that, pretty soon, you'll never get a significant change to happen because you will have taught your people nothing is going to get done here that's new or different because i'm going to try it it's going to be hard i'm going to fail and they're just going to develop calluses to any kind of uh, any kind of initiative you put in place whether it's management related or not it could be financial and they'll just say eh, whatever in fact you'll lose credibility because when the company says we're putting in a new sap or erp or we're putting in a new customer connection customer uh, database or we're doing we're doing accounting differently or we're doing reviews differently. The company makes it happen. The company spends a year preparing and then says this will happen and it does. Well, to your directs, folks, you are the company. You speak for the company. It's part of your role power. When the initiative comes from you and they can wait it out, but when it comes from the company, they know they can't, you lose credibility. You you, you hurt the company in terms of your ability to carry the water for your boss or her boss or whatever when it comes to change and initiatives and new ideas. So, you've got to schedule one-on-ones. Now, there are some of you who say, Mark, I just can't do it. You know, my schedule's too busy. Well, look, look, I, folks, I got to tell you something. You're not that busy. I know people who are doing one-on-ones in the White House. Um, they're busy. I know CEOs who are doing one-on-ones every week with all their directs. And some of them are hour long. One of the people I coach once said, "Yeah, Mark, do I have to keep it to half an hour?" And I said, "Well, I wish you would." And he said, "Well, look, this guy's running a four hundred million dollar line of business for me. We can't get everything done in half an hour." I said, "Oh, it's okay. Go ahead, take an hour." And he said, and he told me two years later, "This is how I manage now. I've got my ten guys. I got an hour long one on one. It takes ten hours a week, and that's when we connect and we make sure that I know what they need to know. Now they can interrupt me anytime they want, um, and I can interrupt them anytime I want to. And that's where we're getting." stuff done rather than him trying to catch me or me trying to catch him throughout the week. If you don't schedule your one-on-ones, you're going to be perceived as not really believing it and and making it one of many things that might be important. And in today's world, it seems like there's always something urgent, even though we ought to be doing things important and that, that are important and not urgent to to paraphrase to Stephen Covey, but there's always something urgent. And you're going to find that sooner or later, they're going to, they're going to uh, taper off. So, we recommend you schedule them. We'll talk about how to schedule them at a different time, but scheduled every single week with E20 Directs. Now, let me let me give a caveat to the scheduling bit. I think this is really important. If Mike is my boss and Mike says, Tuesday at 2 o'clock is where we're going to do our one-on-one smart. Okay, great. I'm there. Okay. It doesn't matter that he actually has the one-on-one at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. The scheduling of the one on one sends a message that is different than and as important as, in a way, as actually having the one on one. The scheduling says, this is going to happen. This is important. You're important. And by the way, relative to that, if you imagine you put a recurring meeting, folks, on your calendar that said one on one with Mark, and it's every week, and there's no end date to that recurring calendar. Take a look at your calendar a month from now. What will be on your calendar in the week? The one thing that will be on your calendar in a month, unless you're a very senior executive, in which case you're scheduled months in advance, the one thing on your calendar will be that one-on-one and your directs will know that and everything will be scheduled around that one-on-one. You will have pride of place. All the one-on-ones will have pride of place. Everything else will move around the one-on-ones and your directs know that. It's a recurring meeting. Yeah, sends sends a message in terms of importance. But, but,
1: I, but I want to go back to what you said. So, you said okay. that I schedule them. It's okay to schedule them. I schedule them every week and they go on forever. But it's okay if I don't conduct them?
0: No, no, no. That's not what I said. Uh, it's okay. okay if you don't have them Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Yeah, oh, we, okay. I, I always pick Tuesday at 2 o'clock as my time because that's the time Wendy and I do our one-on-ones. Okay? It's scheduled Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Wendy knows if there's no significant conflicts. We're gonna have a one on one Tuesday, two o'clock. But this is just like any other calendar item. There is a difference between things that are not in your calendar, which tend not to get done. There is, by the way, there is one exception, folks, to things that are not on your calendar. The one thing, one that is never on your calendar for 99% of you, but always gets done. Anybody know what it is? Uh email. Email. <laughs> yeah, email. Yeah. Okay. And it's dumb. It's really backwards. Okay. But that's for emails for another time. Emails for another time. But but look, the things that aren't in your calendar have a much lower chance of getting done than the things are on your calendar. Okay? That said, what do we know about calendars? Calendars move around all the time. Things get changed. Things get trumped. Can, you know, cancellations happen. The meeting room's full. The, uh, the, the technology goes down. Whatever. You know, you move things around all the time. You don't need to worry about moving a one-on-one, a scheduled one-on-one. You don't, okay? And here's my case in point. I, we try not to use ourselves as an example too much, but I can use myself as a, as a good case in point because my schedule, I'm traveling 200, 250 days a year. I have had less than 20% of my one-on-ones with Wendy over the last few years at Tuesday at two o'clock we always have them. They're always scheduled Tuesday at two o'clock. And then when we discover Mark's presenting, Mark's on a plane, we simply move it. But we're moving something that's already on the calendar and we don't have any problem finding a time because now the fact that it's on there every week means that it's important to both sides of the equation, both Wendy and me. So, It's important that you schedule it. It is not critical at all that you have it then. Now, look, we're not suggesting that you make a Potemkin village of a bunch of half-hour one-on-ones with all your directs and then, then, you know, just act as if they're not important. We think if it's on your calendar, you ought to try to make it. But if your boss comes in and says, I want Tuesday at 2 o'clock, and by the way, there's something, we have a podcast called The Right of First Refusal, where you would say, well, sorry, boss, I can't. I'm in a one-on-one. And then your boss has a choice to make. Does she want to trump you? Sorry, dude, Tuesday 2, me and my boss and somebody else is going to be there. We're all on it. You, you, you're the weak link here. You got to come. Okay, fine. Or she says, oh, okay, how about 3 o'clock? Oh, yeah, I can do 3 o'clock, right? Too many of us don't, know, don't think about the right of first refusal that if you manage your calendar effectively, you always have the right of first refusal. Now, if the CEO comes down and says, I need you Tuesday at 2 o'clock, folks, just roll over. Uh, and if you, But if your peers say, I want I need some time with you, don't give them the time you have scheduled for your one-on-ones. Um, so, no, you don't have to have it then. But having it on the calendar means you're going to be reminded of it every week. And if there's a conflict, and it's a justifiable conflict, you can move it. No, look, this doesn't preclude you folks from being clever and saying, oh, I'll schedule them, but I don't really have them. You're right. You know, there's nothing we can do about you, you saying, I'm going to follow the guidance about a schedule, but then I'm not going to actually follow through. We intend for you to have the meeting. OK, we're just saying it's more important to schedule it, even if you move it around a lot than it is to say, I'm just going to not schedule it because it's going to be too hard. Calendars here are so terrible. If you tell people you're not going to schedule it, they will read that as a lack of interest in continuing with it, as a lack of fortitude about doing, a lack of willpower. So what we've learned is scheduling it is actually slightly more important in terms of compliance after, after the fact than doing it weekly, okay? And there's something else too. Mike, you always do, when we're at conferences together, you always say this. There's also, for many of us, a a failure, particularly if you're a boss and you've been a boss, a manager or, or director for a while, you've forgotten that there are a lot of people who need time to prepare for a meeting, even if it's a half hour meeting every week. They don't feel comfortable if you walk up to their cube and say, listen, how about we do our one-on-one now? They will say yes. In fact, a manager once said, well, Mark, that's not a problem for me. I go down and I ask my people, hey, can we do it now? I don't want to schedule them too hard. I don't really like scheduling. like, what? Really? You don't like scheduling? Yeah, calendars. Who needs calendars? Oh my gosh. Talk about relegating yourself to third tier performance. But he says, no, I walk down to my people. I say, hey, can we do the one-on-one now? And they all say yes. Dude, They're not saying yes to the one-on-one. They're saying yes to their boss, who has a role power, who says, watch out, I'm your boss, I can fire you. And they want time with you, but they're not ready. They're not pleased. They didn't have time to prep. And for half of the audience, probably, time to prep is very important. So, if you don't schedule them and you just go talk to people, they're going to say yes, and the meeting then will not nearly be as much about them. It ends up being about you. It starts out being convenient, you know, scheduled. It, it starts out being at a time that's convenient for you. And it generally goes downhill from there. Okay, so that's scheduling. Let's talk about weekly, right? This is another thing that's really, really important. And I'll start with a bit of a, a humorous aside and say, folks, if you want to do one-on-ones and you're listening, you're saying, I can't do them weekly, though. So, I'm going to do them monthly. I just got to tell you, don't. (laughs) I wish, folks, that you could create a relationship with another human being by talking to them for 30 minutes once a month. You know, it would be great if you could go to your boss or the CEO and say, I have the best relationship of anybody, any manager here in our company, big or small, because I dedicate six hours a year to each one of my directs and we're we really understand one another well. <laughs> really? I mean, hmm. uh, here's what we learn from the data. When directs do monthly one-on-ones, if they're called one-on-ones, whether, whether they learn them through manager tools or not, right? There are other people teaching other one-on-ones that might be fine. We know what we know about our our system. When directs do monthly one-on-ones, they hate them, the single biggest data point that we got back from the various periodicities that we tried in one on ones was whatever you do, don't do monthly one on ones and the reason why is I think it is it is essentially a obvious internal response to a boss who's from a subordinate and when a boss says, I'm going to sit down with you once a month because I think we need to have a good better relationship immediately people say. That's like saying, "I'd like to have a better relationship with you." The walls are white, and you're like, "Well, that's kind of a non sequitur." <laughs> it is, it, folks. It's a non. It's a professional behavioral non sequitur to say to someone, "I want a better relationship with you. Let's sit down for thirty minutes or even an hour once a month." It doesn't compute. People know that kind of frequency is. Inimical to it, it, it's not the same thing. You can't do it. And by the way, you can't give somebody four hours a month and create a relationship with them. I would argue that if you tried to go to four hours a month, all you would do is you would run out of things to talk about in 30 or 45 minutes. Further, though, the data, the responses we got said my one on my monthly one on one with my boss turned into a dog and pony show. I knew that he couldn't remember or she couldn't remember things from three or four weeks ago. So I felt like I had to prepare a little presentation. And by the way, we not only had people say, I felt like I had to prepare, we had lots of people say, My boss ended up saying, Look, bring in something that talks about the month so we can go over things and I can give you some guidance and we can talk about the future and blah, 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 blah. blah. Well, what they ended up having to do was prepare a presentation. Now, it wasn't actually presented but maybe it was a couple of pages of notes about successes and failures or mostly just successes why would you tell your boss about remind your boss about your failures if he's already forgotten about them or a deck of slides about hey wins and you know people issues and budget issues and so on folks that's a business meeting and there's nothing wrong with it and if you want to do that that's fine just don't call it a one-on-one don't tell people you learned it from us and don't think you're building a relationship with your directs by meeting with them once a month It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And look, I wish it did. If it did, we'd tell you to meet once a month. If you could meet with a human being once a month for half an hour, 45 minutes and build the kind of relationship that would see you through tough times and would align people and would get people to say, this is a great team and would help you know all of the strengths and weaknesses of all the people who work for you, we would recommend it. I promise we would. We're not recommending stuff to make things hard. We're recommending stuff that might be hard to do in the beginning, but make your job easier and make you more effective. And monthly one-on-ones don't work. Okay, but bi-weekly now. I mean, some people say, well, Mark, yeah, I want to do bi-weekly. Look, I'm not going to follow my sword on this. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I'm telling you it's not going to work. You really can't develop the kind of relationship you want to develop if you're meeting every other week. And there are a couple of reasons for this. The biggest one is think about your calendar and about your life, folks. Think about how busy you are today or how busy you were today if you're listening to this in the car going home or on the train going home and ask yourself, what's my calendar like tomorrow? You probably have a rough idea. You know you get a couple of meetings you're not sure about one meeting, but you're pretty sure you know what and, and you kind of got in your head the couple of things you want to work on that aren't in your calendar. Bad idea by the way. Should be on your calendar. But anyway, you kind of have a rough idea. And you know, let's say you're listening to this cast and it's a it's a Monday, and you kind of have an idea what Tuesday Wednesday looks like. I'd be willing to bet you may even have an inkling of what Friday looks like. But you have absolutely no idea what a week from this Thursday's like if it's Monday today. You got nothing. Yeah, no now, way. okay, I'm sorry. If you're, if you're flying somewhere, flying back somewhere after being on the road next week, okay, fine. But that, unless that happens every week or it happens twice a year, you don't know that. No, if you're not traveling anywhere in the next two weeks, I encourage you to write me an email to show at manager-tools.com. I actually know, without looking, I know my schedule in detail a week from Thursday. You don't. And why don't you? It's because you tend to live your life in three to five to seven day rolling windows that you can keep in your short-term work memory. It's just the nature of work. It doesn't make you good or bad. It's just part of being a professional. It used to be that uh, because the pace, of, the operational tempo of things were was a little bit slower, although everybody's always thinks things are speeding up, but there are reports from the Roman Empire 1,000, 2,000 years ago about how busy things are and how people just can't seem to keep up. But that said, you tend to structure your work memory, your short-term work memory around things that you have to do, deadlines you have to make, responses you have to provide, steps you have to take over the next three to five to seven days. If that's the way you and your directs are, and I can assure you it is, and then you tell your directs, we're going to meet every other week. If you're thinking in three to five day windows, things that are going to happen two weeks from now, are definitely on the back burner. This goes back, in fact, to the monthly thing. I know I said it when talking more about monthly, but folks, any of you ever go to a monthly steering committee meeting? You're on a steering committee or a committee or a team of people that meet once a month? I know what your behavior is around that meeting. You go to the meeting, you talk, you discuss, and then you get some deliverables, even though you tried to avoid them, you still end up with some deliverables. And the next thing you know, You walk out of that meeting, you put that stuff right on on your desk, and you immediately get to work on something else, knowing you won't have to do anything until the next meeting a month from now. And you won't do anything on that for three and a half weeks until you start having been driven by the deadline of being ready to present at the next meeting. If you're meeting every other week, the stuff that is happening now this week, if you're you're having one-on-one in two weeks with one of your directs, the stuff that's happening now will be out of their short-term memory by the time you meet with them. So half of their life will not be fodder for the conversation in the one-on-one. And you're saying, because it's every other week, it's always going to be on the back burner. You are saying to your directs, you're never as important as what I'm doing right now other than at the time I'm having the one-on-one. And by the way, because everything I do in any given day or two days or three days is what's important, we're only going to be talking about what's going on in those one or two or three days. It essentially eliminates half of your directs' lives and their ability to be effective and your ability to know them when you meet every other week. And we have data on this. What's worse is that if you miss every other week, you start going once a month. I think what I said earlier about that was don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. There are some managers who go, Mark, I just can't, I just can't do it every week. You know, look, we respect where you are. We know many of you have difficult situations. There are some situations. Look, if you've got 30 directs, don't try to meet with them every week. If you have more than 10 directs and you're a first-time manager, go to every other week until your schedule starts to tolerate that. What, 12 directs, six half hours each week. And after you've mastered that, it may take you three or four or five months. Then go to every week. And you'll discover, by the way, that if you can add six hours a week, you can add six more hours a week and you'll be fine. Actually, no, it would be six hours over the week. So it'd only be, if you have 12 directs, it'd be six hours over the week. And then it would become six hours each week, right? So you'd only be adding, let's see, let me do the math. 12 directs, six, no, it's six half hours, six half hours each week. That's three hours a week. And then when you finally end up, when you you do three hours each week, and then you get used to that over three months, three or four months, maybe six months, it's fine. And you say, I'm comfortable with the schedule. Then stress your schedule again. That's how people get better. They stress themselves or the system stresses them. And then add three more hours each week by going to weekly with everybody. And you'll discover things get better. Now, Mike, tell the reverse of that. Tell your story about reducing the period of your Every of- I think you're referring to as a company at MCI and
1: got acquired by WorldCom, and I, I went through the whole the whole bankruptcy thing. I think most folks are probably familiar with the the story. But I had I think ten directs at the time. I was doing one-on-ones half an hour every week, and so I spent in five hours a week, ten hours every two weeks, and I, and I started getting called into a lot of meetings around this this bankruptcy. It became a, a fairly stressful place to be, obviously. And so, I, th- I needed time. And so, I said, well, look, I'll, I'll, things are going so well, I'll start doing them every other week and my, get five right. hours back,
0: right? Know what he said, folks. There's two parts to this. One, he was stressed. He didn't have time. And the relationships were well-established. Right, Mike? I mean, yeah, you felt absolutely. like things are good with your Drax. You could tolerate going to every other week. Yeah, I thought I could. Yeah, and you needed to because of your schedule. Yeah. yeah, you did. That's a it was it was a legitimate look in my head. It was probably what I would have thought too, right? Yeah. My relationships are solid with these people, and I'm stressed. I'm I'm too busy. I can't I can't make the calendar work. So okay, sorry I interrupted. Go ahead. Here's the thing I found though. Within a couple of weeks, it just completely
1: fell apart. And matter of fact, not only did I not get five hours back, I ended up spending more time. Right. Right. And I forgot I had been doing one-on-ones for so long that I had forgot that when I first started doing one-on-ones, I was just like everybody else. I thought, oh, that's that's all I need, you know, more meetings, right? Right. And I found that I invested five hours a week in it and I got more than five hours back, right? Because people weren't interrupting me all the time. People weren't always trying to get my attention. Somebody can wait a couple days or three to four days to talk to you about something. They can't wait two weeks. Yeah. They certainly can't wait a month. They can't wait. And so the, so the opposite became true. All that time I had gotten back, all the efficiencies, all, all the, the deep relationship that helped, you know, the grease that made everything work for just evaporated. Just, just yeah. simply from going yeah. from weekly
0: to, to biweekly. So I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't recommend it either. There are two things that really stand out in that story for me. The first one is that the way you describe, hey, things are going good. The relationship is good, okay? So, the relationship can stand us talking less often. In other words, what you're describing conceptually is the relationship exists outside of the communication and the discussions on the regular communications about what's important to the direct. And what you discovered is it does not. Relationships don't exist outside of your behavior in the relationship, You don't create a relationship and then have it. The relationship isn't something you have. It is an outshoot of the behavior. If you change your behavior in a relationship, the relationship changes. The relationship is not a thing. It is the behavior. Yeah, it's
1: interesting because that's a different. I was thinking about it a little bit different, and maybe maybe it's similar. But I was thinking that I was going back to what Stephen Covey said about emotional bank accounts. Right, you, you you continue to make deposits into this emotional bank account. Right, build your relationship with an individual because inevitably you're going to be making withdrawals. You say an unkind word, you you use a tone that that's not appropriate, etc. Right, and, and so you want that emotional bank account to be full. And as you we were talking, what I thought about was. You know, one is ones is they—they they're, are weekly deposits to the emotional bank account, the yeah. relationship bank account. And the fact is, day in and day out, because of the pressures of of work and this, you're asking folks to work hard. You're doing all that. You are making withdrawals every single day, and you don't know it. Yeah. And you stop making the deposits, it exactly. depletes pretty quickly. <laughs>
0: Right, and it depletes even more quickly in a time like that because if you're stressed and you're saying I'm now going to put the relationships on the back burner at times when we most need the relationships to be functioning well, to then take away from the thing that feeds the relationship is backwards. Now yeah. it makes complete yeah. sense in in advance, but you look back in hindsight and you go, Oh man, what a mistake! Yeah, right. Well, if for no other reason than look at the results I got. Right, exactly. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next
1: week. Have a great one. So long.